there, and welcome to the Birth Story Therapist Podcast, a safe space for mamas and parents to share their birth stories, discuss common issues experienced with parenting, feel heard and validated, engage in discussion about the complexity of their motherhood journeys, and how they manage their mental health along the way. Come here every week to hear from mamas who are just like you, figuring it out one day at a time. Hear from myself, Crystal, licensed therapist, host of this podcast, and private practice owner of Southeast Perinatal Counseling. I specialize in maternal mental health, if you haven't guessed already. I'll share helpful tips and techniques to manage your mental health as you navigate motherhood, both in the perinatal and postpartum period, as well as bring on other mamas so you can gain from their history, their stories, maybe some gems that you can apply to your motherhood journey. And of course, I also have on professionals in the maternal mental health space that might be able to offer additional techniques and resources to help you along the way. So I'm so thrilled to have this mom on today's episode of the Birth Story Therapist podcast. I met this mom years ago in graduate school and I have no idea about neither of her birth stories. So I will be listening and holding space and empathy and support just as you listeners are as she shares her birth story and motherhood experiences. I want to extend to you throughout your sharing my support. Um, I know that sometimes as we share, it can sometimes make us reflect on both the good and not so hot times throughout our motherhood and birth story experiences. So just know that um, this is a safe space and um, we're, we're all in this together. So I'll pass it over to you for you to introduce yourself and your family. Any other information you'd like us to know to get to know you a little bit better over this hour? Okay. So I'm Nicolette, um, wife, mom of three. So I have a stepson who's 12. I have a three-year-old and I have a five-month-old. Um, so my birth stories go back to 2016. Um, it's a really tough year, a lot of losses. March of that year, I lost my mom and... The night before she passed away, she said to me, you're pregnant. Um, And so I'm like, mom, what are you talking about? Like, no way. Um, And so I just kind of shrugged it off. Um, So when my mom passed, there was a lot of um, just stress and, you know, trying to handle the business of of her unplanned death and, um, you know, court stuff, all of that. Plus, I'm working. Um, I'm a social worker. So at the time, I was at the Department of Social Services working with children and families. So that's, you know, stressful in itself. And then so juggling that plus family, I was really not paying a lot of attention to my body. Um, But then finally, I was like, okay, something's off. Let me let me go get get this checked out. Um, And that's when I found out that I was pregnant. So then I went for my first appointment, my husband and I, and we found out um, that there was no heartbeat. And they were like, well, you know, we don't really, we don't know what's going on, you know, how far you are, but obviously you're testing pregnant. So it was like, my body was still going through the changes, 
even though um, the baby wasn't developing. So they gave me my options and um, we went with, instead of letting it happen naturally, went with uh, what they call a DNC so that I didn't have to experience, um, you know, the, the miscarriage and the, the bleeding and all that. I felt like not knowing when it would happen, that would just be way too anxiety provoking. Um, and then after that, my husband and I were like, you know, well, we want to try. And so we went through the trying. That was stressful. Um, so when we did not try, <laughs> we got a surprise. And that was my three-year-old, well, our three-year-old Nolan. Um, he's amazing, really smart kid, uh, keeps me on my toes, something new every single day. Um, and so we had Nolan and then he was born 2018, January, 2018. Um, so then 20, 2020, we got another surprise. That's my seer and that's my five month old. So He's here now, and um, so it's lots of fun with him. Um, working now, still as a social worker, but I'm at Prisma Health doing child and adolescent psychiatry. So it's a, a lot different from the Department of Social Services. I do still work with a lot of the people there because I'm a mandated reporter still. So when they come to the hospital, I you know give them information about uh abuse or neglect that we might be suspecting on our end. Um, so I'm juggling that and being a mom to the boys, being a wife, and um, also breastfeeding. So I'm having to disappear throughout the day at work to go and, and pump. And Nolan and I made it six months. Nasir is creeping up on six months, but I feel better than I did the first time around. Like, I feel like, okay, this is something that I can continue doing. Um, but with Nolan, I was just like, this is becoming more uh, stressful than it is, you know, healthy for, for the both of us. Um, but I, I feel better about it this time around. So I think we'll be good at least to the first year, which is, is my goal. So that's where we are right now. Yes. Okay. So let's back up a bit. Um, one, I'd like to acknowledge that, you know, you experienced um, such significant losses um, a few years ago, um, first being with your mom, and then you mentioned your miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Talk with us a little bit about how you navigated loss and grief, um, again, with such, uh, I'm sure, a close person in your life, your mom. Um, while finding out that you're pregnant. Yeah, so um, when I lost my mom, sorry about that. When I lost my mom, like I said, it was unexpected. Um, literally, the, the night before, she said she wasn't feeling well and she was tired. And we were like, well, you should go get checked out. And she's like, I'll go tomorrow. Just leave me alone. I'm tired. That kind of thing. Um, and so you can't, you can't prepare for that. Um, and so at first it was a whole lot of shock. And I just continued working and staying busy 
that was my first uh, response to it. And then when I found out, you know, about the miscarriage, I kind of felt um, it's strange. It was kind of like, like, I kind of felt at peace because I felt like, okay, this is, this will be my first time, you know, having a child and my mom's not going to be here, you know, to witness that and to support me. And so, you know, that's tough. But at the same time, I have, let's see, I have eight nieces and nephews. And so my mom was here, you know, to help raise them and care for them. And they all know her. But I was just like, my children won't have that. And so it makes me feel better and comforted to know that it's like my mom took my first child with her. So that, you know, helped me um, on the emotional side of things. Um, And then I would say maybe about a year and a half after my mom passed, I had to go to therapy because I realized like I didn't, I didn't really get the, you know, process this thing. I just kept, I just kept living life and working and staying busy so that I didn't have to focus on it. I didn't have to think about it. And so when my mom, when the anniversary of my mom's death rolled around, um, that's when I was like, all right, like I'm, I'm gonna have to go to therapy about this thing. So yeah. that ultimately helped. And I think you started answering my next question, which was, you know, what were some of the things that helped you to cope through those lost experiences? And you just mentioned therapy. Could you share with us a little bit about maybe some of the signs or symptoms um, that you saw that, you know, put you on alert that possibly talking with someone might be helpful? I know you mentioned um, you know, life going by, but what did that look like in real time? Yeah. So, um, in addition to therapy, I also started spending more time with my family. Like growing up, it was always just immediate family. Um, but I started branching out, you know, with aunts and cousins and getting to know them more and spending more time with them. That's how I learned a lot more about my mom and, you know, how she was even back before I was born. Um, so that helped me cope a lot. Um, but in terms of knowing that I needed to go to therapy, um, it was like I started feeling like I just couldn't, I just couldn't focus. Um, Like I would be at work and I would have, you know, time to do what I needed to do, be more than capable of getting it done. But just kind of feeling like I just can't, like feeling like kind of like the walls are closing in and like, I just want to just run from it all. And I was just like, you know, that's, (laughs) that's not normal. Um, And I know work stress, that played a part in it, too. And that's probably what, you know, broke the the camel's back. But I just felt just overwhelmed, just really overwhelmed. There was nothing I could do to just be calm and to just focus. And when I started to feel like there's really no explanation for it, it was kind of like this irrational anxiety. then I started looking at 
what was going on, you know, around that time. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is what's going on. Like, I miss my mom. I need my mom. Like, that. that's kind of what, what tipped me off. Yeah. And I appreciate, one, your transparency and vulnerability with um, sharing with us your, your loss experiences. But I want to highlight the fact that you brought up a great point. Um, you know, being in this work, I often hear people say, you know, I, I knew I needed to go to therapy because of some, you know, huge or big life moment, mm-hmm. um, or I begin to have thoughts of self-harm or just something that's, that's, that's maybe big. Um, but you mentioned concentration and I feel like that that's something worth highlighting, um, for listeners, the fact that, um, signs and symptoms can look so vastly different across, you know, different people. And so it's just important, like you said, just to be um, aware and to check in with yourself. And if it's something out of the norm or um, it looks unusual to to your life, then it might be worth investigating or exploring a little bit more um, if it's related to a stressor. So I appreciate you sharing that because that's that's a really good uh, reminder for everybody that it can look it can look different. It can be something like concentration um, mm-hmm. as opposed to thoughts of wanting to harm yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're moving forward and you mentioned that you and your spouse decided to start trying. Um, I would imagine that your spouse himself um, was impacted by your loss, um, you all's loss. And so talk with me about how you saw these experiences affect your marriage. And I mean, obviously, um, with conversations or discussions, with behavior, with mood. Um, you know, in my practice, I see a lot of dads grieve differently than moms. So if you saw a lot of that happening, even support, what did support between the two of you look like? I would love for you to share that. Yeah. So man, my husband, he was just so, so supportive and, you know, in tune with me. Like if we made plans to go somewhere and I could be like, you know, I know we have these plans, but today I just can't, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just want to, I just want to lay around and be in my feelings. He would be like, that's cool. I'm all right with that. Um, We never, never had any disagreements about, you know, how I felt or if I, if we needed to adjust at the last minute, um, because I felt overwhelmed or sad. Um, of course we both, we both cried in the beginning and, you know, he was there to console me and and vice versa because it was a loss for the both of us. But I felt like, because I actually had to, you know, go through the, the physical, um, aspect and the surgery, um, the surgery was, was traumatizing in itself um, because number one, I had, you know, just lost my mom and I, I was back in the same hospital for the first time um, where we took my mom off life support. 
And so when I walked into the room where they, you know, did the procedure, like I instantly like started bawling. Uh, I think I cried harder that day being in that hospital than I did at my mom's funeral. Mm. Um, because, you know, then it hadn't really hit me yet, mm. but that, that was tough. And, you know, what, what do you say to somebody when they're, you know, that heartbroken is, it's not really a whole lot of words you can, can say to ease that hurt. And so he was just there, just there. And that was all I needed. Yeah. I want to tell you again, I am so appreciative of you allowing your story to be held in this space. So sorry for your losses. And um, again, you know, we we have this this platform, this this podcast in order to bring life back into our stories because so often we don't get to hear lost experiences and, you know, hear the other side of it. All we hear is um, the pain and the sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like you, um, throughout all of that, found ways to cope and manage and grieve. And so, you know, I'm so appreciative. Again, I can't say that enough um, of you being so transparent and sharing with us today. Absolutely. Yeah. From that experience, and I'm going to use your word, it being traumatic, having the DNC um, and deciding to try again with your husband's support, with you know, y'all navigating life and learning how to integrate your lost experiences into your life. How would you describe, you know, finding out that you were pregnant? Were there worries? Were there concerns? Was there anxiety. I know you mentioned irrational anxieties before, but now you have these very real lived experiences. So Mm -hmm. talk with us about that, um, moving into your first pregnancy and what that pregnancy looked like emotionally, physically, mentally. Yeah, it was hard to be happy at first. And it's tough because you know how excited people are when they hear about babies and it's like, and so um, I didn't want to tell anybody at first because I'm like, if anything happens, then I have to, you know, tell people, oh, it's not going to happen this time, you know. And so, you know, you're worrying about that and then worrying about, you know, the previous loss, like, is everything going to be okay? Um, and, you know, in the beginning, it's like eight weeks before you can be seen. And, you know, it's so early. So like you have no idea what's going on inside your body. And so it was definitely a relief when we got to see, you know, the heartbeat and everything look normal and fine. Um, but, you know, that's still in the back of your mind, um, the, the possibilities. And so I just felt a lot of pressure. Um mainly from like my work family. I know they cared and just wanted to be supportive, but every day they were asking, you know, are you excited? Are you excited? And of course I was excited, but I was nervous and I was scared and I didn't feel like, um, you know, people that they'll ask you, how are you doing? Or how are you feeling? But they don't really have the time Mm -hmm. for you to tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. And so 
in the beginning, it was a lot of, you know, fake smiles and pretending to be happy and pretending to be excited when really I was scared as hell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So the first time I was really nervous. Second time was was much different um, because I, you know, had learned so much, not only from my experience, but, you know, talking to my doctors and just knowing like what I know now about conception and about you know, pregnancy, um, and just, just knowing like how much of a miracle it is and that when it doesn't work out, you know, it's nothing to get down or upset about. It's just that when it does happen, like the chances of it happening with all that has to be perfectly aligned, um, you know, not to minimize anyone's loss, but I think the issue is we don't realize how common losses are and in my case with it being so early had my body not continued to go through those changes I probably would have never known um and so and that's that's way more common than actually conceiving and I don't I don't think people realize that um so the second time around I felt much more at ease um very much a pro <laughs> at you know the whole pregnancy thing so I wasn't really worried wasn't really stressed um at that point I had been at my same job for about four years because I'm now coming up on five so you know I felt way more supported at work um so it's much much easier the second go around but like I said the first um, time actually having a successful pregnancy, it, it was a little scary. It was a little, little nerve wracking. Yeah, I would imagine so. I would imagine so. You brought up some points that I wanna that I wanna talk about. You mentioned it being scary um, and nerve wracking. You just said it again, um, and I think that that's within itself just a helpful reminder for listeners who may be dealing with loss. Um, is that that's a normal reaction. (laughs) Like if you, you know, pregnancy after loss, like, yes, we have these expectations or these um, internal and external expectations of what is supposed to happen with your emotions, right? Supposed to, should, in quotations, Mm -hmm. but, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you still validating your emotions of, you know, being scared because that's really, I mean, again, going back to, you know, lived experiences, you know what it feels like to go through um, that sort of pain. And so it makes sense that you would be uh, worried and concerned now. And I think oftentimes what I do see, and again, so appreciative that you, you know, are transparent and saying that you were scared is I see often, um, clients or friends or family who've experienced loss say, you know, I have to be this way. Like, I have to be happy. I got to figure out how to just get over it. I got to, you know, as opposed to, you know, saying, okay, I I can do both, right? Like I can, I can be sad and scared and nervous and also embrace, you know, my sweet baby growing inside my womb. And Mm -hmm. so um, I think that's incredibly important to just highlight that you don't have to you know, try and minimize where you're at with your emotions that, you know, things will um, 
come about, be it coping skills, be it, you know, support, as you mentioned, in order for you to move through those difficult emotions. The other thing that I wanted to say is you brought up another good point with, um, support at your at your work you call them work family and I actually have another episode solely on grief and loss and I talk a lot about how people show up with language but specifically when people ask how are you doing so it's it's so funny that you brought that up because again I, I've talked about that on a different episode and you're right people ask how you're doing and it's so casual that they don't even like realize that no you if you're asking that question like be ready sometimes to to like hold space for whatever comes next um but that's not always the case it's usually like a hey how you doing in passing very quick and like everyone's just waiting for that okay all right good um but to be present with you during that time I'm sure that there were some people who were and how amazing that must have felt for you um be it at work be it at home in your personal life um, but yeah, I just want to acknowledge that you are not the only person who I've heard say that. And it's a very real thing <laughs> saying, how are you? And not, not actually being ready for whatever comes next. Um, you mentioned also that, uh, you're, you, with your second pregnancy felt like a pro felt like you had it, um, together and knew how to, you know, move through the pregnancy because you had already experienced Nolan. Um, what differences did you see as it relates to like your your labor experience? Oh boy. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as like the pregnancy itself with both Nolan and Nasir, um, it felt about the same. Uh, I didn't have any morning sickness. Um, everything was smooth, you know, as far as my health, their health, um, with Nolan, I had like a lot more like swelling, um, didn't have any with Nasir, like my feet and ankles didn't really swell until the very, very end. Um, but then with labor, so I did not really dilate much. When it got close to my due date, I think I might have gotten to like two centimeters. And then they were like, okay, well, we're going to induce you. And so I had heard, you know, if you get induced, chances are you'll end up having a C-section. So that brought on a whole nother fear um, in surgery once again. So there's that as well um so I ended up being induced I worked all the way up until the actually the day I went into the hospital so I went to work that Thursday worked my shift got off at 4 30 went home got my bags came back to the hospital that Thursday night and that's when they started um the fluids and everything um Well, I started, you know, contracting late that night. And so I went ahead and asked for the epidural because I was like, okay, this is bad, but it's not unbearable, but I'm going to try to hold off. And then I was like, okay, I don't want to wait until it's too late. Um, And so they were like, well, you know, we'll go ahead and give it to you. So I got it. 
well, I'm still in labor that Friday. And then by that Friday afternoon, evening, the epidural's not working no more. I'm still in labor and contracting. So that Saturday, so at this point, we're like, we're like 30 something hours into this thing. So that Saturday, my doctor comes in and she's like, you're miserable, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. So she was like, I think we need to do a C-section. So like I said before, I had already heard if you get induced, you might get a C-section. I'm nervous. I'm scared. But when I saw my doctor that Saturday morning, I could have just jumped up off that bed. I was just like, yes, let's do it. Let's go. Like, cut me. <laughs> this is terrible. So um, ended up having a C-section after laboring for almost 40 hours. Um, not fun at all. But I didn't feel a thing because uh, they ended up, since the epidural stopped, stopped working, they did a spinal. Um, so there's this long needle that goes in your back. And, of course, I'm sure people hear about all the risks associated with that um, and anesthesia and all that. But I, I prayed about it and I just, you know, was, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't scared. I think mainly because I had experienced that long labor and, and the trauma from that, I was ready to just do what needed to be done. Um, mm -hmm. But I was at peace with it. And um, the worst part was probably just vomiting afterwards. But Nolan was fine. I was fine. Um, so that, that was that. And the second time around with Nasir, I decided let's just schedule the C-section. Um, I never wanted to experience labor ever again. Mm -hmm. So uh, we got scheduled and um, all that went as planned as far as, um, as far as delivery. Um, I think that was pretty much all, all the same, the delivery part. But then Nasir had, he had some fluid on his lungs. And you, Sorry, you mentioned that Nasir had fluid on his lungs. And then I think mm -hmm. it cut out for a little bit, Nicolette. Yeah, so so they ended up taking him to the NICU. Um, so that was kind of, I guess, the difference. Um, really, like pregnancy delivery that was fine but then he went to the NICU whereas Nolan Nolan was you know perfectly healthy it's not that Nasir wasn't healthy he just you know swallowed fluid and um it turned out that they they were gonna just you know get the fluid off his lungs they told me I would have him back in a few hours but then they when they started feeding him he wasn't keeping it down so they found out um, later that he had gas on his belly. Um, and so they had to, to get rid of that. And, but in between the time, there was a lot of tests and, uh, monitoring, um, just to make sure that it wasn't anything more than what it was. Um, and so that experience was a, a different type of trauma than the long labor with Nolan, um, having him, you know, having just been born, not being able to hold him and be with him. Like we didn't spend a night together until we got home, unfortunately. Um, 
that kind of set us back, I think, with breastfeeding because we didn't, he didn't get the latch until maybe about two days in. Um, but I still was able to make it happen. I had to pump for my life. <laughs> so I'm, I'm blessed as far as that's concerned. Um, I learned a lot about NICU. Um, it seemed like the nurses there, you know, they're used to caring for babies that are either premature or really, really sick. And Nasir was neither of those, but they treated him just like they treated the other babies. And so I think that kind of soured my experience with the NICU. Um, but I'm just, just glad we made it through that, that ordeal and he's perfectly healthy now. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like it, it, um, affected you, especially again, you mentioned being apart and not being able to have him in the room and moms typically room in and -hmm. that being a different experience than, you know, with your first Talk with me a little bit about what were some helpful things that you did then as y'all were separated or as he was dealing with, you know, fluid and then the gas on his belly and trying to figure out, you know, how to get his food to stay down. What were some of the things that you did um, that might have been helpful to help you get through um, that difficult period with him in the NICU? Yeah, so at first, um, it wasn't a whole lot I could do because I had just had a major surgery. So for 24 hours, I couldn't walk. Um, But once I was able to, I would, you know, go and visit him. Because it was unplanned, him staying in the NICU, um, my room ended up being further away from the NICU as it would have been, like if it was plant to be that way. Um, so that, that presented a little challenge, but it, it caused me to, to kind of get better faster because I knew I needed to be able to get to him. So I would pump and take, you know, milk to him so that he could still get, um, breast milk. And then, we would FaceTime. So like if not, cause they would only allow one parent, this is COVID time. So we're in a pandemic that complicated things as well. Um, so my husband, if he would go, he would FaceTime me. And then if I would go, I would FaceTime him. So that way, you know, we could all uh, be together at one time. And then really just, just trying to rest and, whenever I could and just try to try to get strong, like not rush my recovery, but I just felt like, you know, I was going to need to to build up my strength sooner to be able to get around and, and be able to get some time in with him. So, yeah. Yeah. You um, obviously, uh, had two very different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, talk with us a little bit about what postpartum looked like for you with both pregnancies. Oh boy. So with Nolan, um, we we spent a lot of time, just the, just the two of us at home. Um, my husband had just started his current job right before Nolan was born. So 
you know, he didn't have the benefits that he does now. So he, as soon as we got home, he had to go to work. Um, and so like I had just had a C-section. So what we would do, we would either stay upstairs all day. Like I would just have everything I needed in, in our bedroom or we would come downstairs and just stay downstairs all day because once he left, I pretty much didn't have any help. Um, some of my family, they would drop by, and but it was because they want to come and see and hold the new baby. It wasn't to bring me food. It wasn't to, you know, wash dishes. Um, and so I had a little bit of resentment because <laughs> like here I am alone with this baby that can't talk back to me um and so I felt lonely sometimes but it was it was still a beautiful time you know because it was just you know him and I and I got to have him all to myself um so I enjoyed the time as well and um so we just got a lot of naps and and cuddles and so it was all good and I felt like the time off, it flew by too. So by the time I went back to work, I I didn't feel like I got a chance to get back to myself. Um, and I was just kind of thrown into it, you know, having to have a new routine um, because then you got daycare that comes into play um, and being separated from the baby that you just spent 12 weeks with around the clock. Um, that was tough, still dealing with sleep deprivation because he was waking up every two hours on the dot to nurse at night. Even when we, when I went back to work, he did that until six months. So for, for my first three months back at work, I was still waking up every other hour at night. Um, so that, that was kind of tough. Um, and then this time around with Nasir, like I said, I felt more, you know, prepared. Um, what I did with him, I didn't have the same, you know, fears and anxiety as far as us separating and him going to daycare and these people that I don't know, you know, having to, to watch my baby because I knew the daycare staff. We went to the same daycare as Nolan. Um, and what I did was I actually let him go back to daycare or go to daycare earlier than Nolan. Nolan started at 12 weeks. Um, I started Nasir at about six. Um, so he went part-time. I let him go like Monday, Wednesday, Friday while I was still home on maternity leave. So then I could have those days to um, do what I needed to do in the house or just have, you know, me time. Um, and then maybe like a week or two before I went back, then I let him, you know, transition into going more um, so that when I did go back to work, you know, he was fully used to the staff at the daycare. Um, I felt comfortable in that, okay, now I can be further away and know that he won't need me because before I was home. So it was like, okay, if something happens or if I just feel like I need my baby, I can go get him. I'm not, you know, tied down at work. Um, but I, I didn't, I'm happy to say that I, I survived being away from him. I didn't feel compelled to go pick him up early. Um, so we, we transitioned really well and, um, it was much smoother 
and I didn't feel as much um, pressure with being a part. Um, like I said, I knew the staff and both boys are now at the same daycare. So that has made it easier. We only have to drop off at one place um, right now. And of course, next year it'll be different because we'll be looking at preschool for Nolan. Um, so now the only thing is now I have a, a toddler or a preschooler and an infant. And so there are times where that gets overwhelming because, you know, infant, they're, they're relying on you for everything. Um, and then you have this, this child with this just blossoming personality, so much intelligence, and he's asking you 50 million questions and you have to explain everything. You have to stop and teach you also have to, you know, nurture and, and spend time with him and let him know that he's just as important as his baby brother. Um, and so that's probably been the, the biggest challenge. Um, and then also making time for myself because I have to, you know, take care of my husband, you know, meet his needs. I have to meet the boys' needs. And um it's, it's easy to put yourself on the back burner when you have all that and you have to go to work too. So, um, I'm, I'm still working on that. I'm not even going to lie. I'm still working on making time for myself, but I do it when I can. Yeah. So it's so interesting that you mentioned, uh, self-care because that was one of the questions that I had or making time for yourself. I want to go back for a moment before we touch on that. You mentioned that, um, you know, shortly after you gave birth, you know, you would notice that your husband would be able to leave the house. You would be at home with baby and you use the word resentment. And that is something that I often hear from moms. I myself also experienced that looking at my husband leave every day to go to work and like him being able to like reflect on engaging with adults and just having conversations mm -hmm. with adults. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, just in the four walls of our home with baby all day and how challenging that that was. Um, what sort of things did you and your partner do, or maybe you did, to work through that resentment? So really, I, it really wasn't a whole lot we could do, but just you know, go go with the flow, let the time pass. But when he got home in the evenings, then we did kind of like switch, like okay, mm -hmm. you've been you know here all day. You know, I'll take over. I'll I'll change diapers now. Um, but at night, because I was nursing, it wasn't really a whole lot. He could still get up and change diapers, but I'm like, I have to wake up to feed him anyway. So why bother him? So he, I, I kind of let him off a little easy on that. Um, and then the second time with Nasir, he had paternity leave or bonding time is what they call it. And so he was home with us for six weeks. So, and physically, the recovery wasn't as bad the second time. I'm not sure what the difference was, but I, I was almost in no pain um, when I came home from my second C-section. And so he was with us, you know, during the day, every day, and it was... And with the pandemic, he was working from home. So even when he went back to work after that six weeks, he was still here if we needed him. So 
So that made the transition, you know, a lot smoother. Um, and it was, there wasn't really any of that, those feelings this time. Cause like I said, we were, we were all here. We were in it together. Plus we were trying to hunker down anyways and, you know, keep the germs out. We could, we didn't have any company for a very long time. Not until after, um, I got vaccinated and we felt comfortable that Nasir had a good bit of antibodies. Um, so that was tough too, being kind of isolated. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned um, COVID and, you know, Nasir being um, born in the middle of this pandemic um, mm-hmm. in isolation. Talk with us a little bit about what some of those things look like to navigate. Like, I mean, I hear moms, again, Miles, he's two, my, our son. And so, you know, we, you know, miss, miss this whole period of giving birth in the middle of COVID. But, you know, what sorts of stressors did you experience within that? You mentioned isolation. And, you know, one, one way around that was, you know, getting vaccinated and making sure everyone else, you know, was healthy enough to come around. But what other things did you see that might have been challenging that you didn't see because COVID wasn't there when Nolan um, was, was born? Man, so just simple things like just going to the grocery store and being afraid of, you know, the germs there and the people there and having to come back home. Um, So, of course, you know, we stocked up on um, disinfectant supplies and lots and lots of hand washing. Like my hands have never been this dry before (laughs) so just like constantly you know washing our hands hand sanitizer everywhere um because we just just didn't want to put the babies at risk Nolan was still going to daycare even though um both myself and my husband were home and we did that for him because we felt like daycare is already the only place you can go right now the only place that you know is the most safe because they were taking lots of precautions. And so we didn't want to pull him away from being able to socialize and uh, learning. Um, so we, we really did that for him. Um, and it also gave us time to, to bond with Nasir being, you know, just us and him too. Mm-hmm. So we did that, you know, for him too. Um, but family, you have to, um, have that conversation with your family because even the people closest to you, like, you know, siblings and and aunts and nieces and cousins, they think that because they're, they are family, the rules don't apply to them, to them. They can still pop up and visit. And so we had to, to even grandparents, we had to tell them like, no, y'all can't come over. Like, and I, they didn't take us serious at first. I don't think they thought we were for real. Like, it's no way y'all gonna stop us from seeing y'all baby. And we had to be like, for real, no, y'all can't come over. <laughs> so that was tough. Cause at first I was like, I don't even, I don't know. How am I going to tell my mother and father-in-law, like they can't come over? Like, how am I going to do that? But we had to. Mm. So that was yeah. tough. Yeah, a lot of tough conversations being had around COVID and creating and setting boundaries and holding firm um, for safety and health. Um, 
yeah, I, I can imagine that was difficult. Balancing being Nicolette, balancing <laughs> being, you know, a career woman, a wife, a mom, now two. What does that self-care look like for you? Man, so a lot of times I have to just talk to myself and remind myself that I am me first and then all these other titles. Um, And so that helps, you know, keep me grounded. And if I have to actually, like when I'm, you know, playing in my week, if I have to actually put in there, okay, on this day, you know, you need to plan to take a longer break at work, a longer lunch at work and, you know, go get your eyebrows done or treat yourself or, you know, shop for yourself. Um, so I try to do those things. My favorite thing is um, is pedicures. That's just, you know, one of the things I like to do to treat myself. I don't shop for myself a whole lot. Like I might intend to, but I end up buying stuff for the boys. Um, but every now and then I try to try to go shopping. Um, I love food. And so um, I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Like that's my my space. And so my husband knows like if I'm in the kitchen to keep the boys occupied so that I can be, you know, alone with my pots and pans. Um, I like to bake. I love music. So that's like music is so depending on how I feel, I know that I can play a certain genre of music or music from a certain era and it can make me feel, you know, a, a, the way that I want to feel. Um, if I miss my mom, I'll play like old school music. My mom, my mom was born in the fifties. So when she had me, she was like 39, 40. So whereas I got a lot of like the nineties, uh, music, like urban music from my older siblings, cause they're 15 and 10 years older than me. I got like the old school, like seventies um from my mom <laughs> so music is my thing um and so that's that's one of my biggest outlets as well I'll just you know stick my earbuds in and let the music take me away from where, wherever I am at that time or however I'm feeling at that time yeah yeah okay and I love the fact that you brought up different ways that you um, practice self-care. It's always a reminder to different um, moms who are listening that there are so many different ways, internal and external ways that you can practice. So thank you for sharing um, your list. Is there anything while we're wrapping up that you would um, maybe say to Nicolette, uh, future Nicolette, regarding motherhood, regarding, you know, who she is. Is there anything that you would say? Hmm. I would say don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's so easy to get caught up in, you know, the day-to-day and, you know, the schedules and, you know, we got to, get the kids at daycare by this time so we can get to work on time and get home on time so we can get dinner and all that. Um, I'm kind of breaking away from 
I'm not saying I'm breaking away from structure because you do have to have structure, but I'm realizing that it doesn't have to be perfect. And if, if I need to pick up something from Publix, I find myself doing that a lot more often with two kids. If I need to go pick up some fried chicken wings from Publix and, you know, throw some veggies on when I get home so that it cuts time prepping dinner in half, like, that's, it's okay. If the clothes are clean, but I don't have time to fold them, it's okay. So that's, that's what I would tell her. Don't sweat the small stuff. As long as the babies are safe and everybody in the house is happy and taken care of, don't sweat small stuff. Yes, that's a, that's a really good gem to drop. Really good gem. We, we really do struggle as moms with expectations. <laughs> um, we really, really do. Man, this was great, Nicolette. And um, I want to extend to you a moment to um, share anything, if you have anything that we haven't talked about that um, you desire to. Um, is there anything that you can think of from your motherhood experience or from your birth experiences, from your loss, um, that you'd like to share with listeners? Um, probably would be just to, I guess, be, be mindful um, that everybody's experience is not the same. You're going to get a lot of unsolicited advice and a lot of uncomfortable questions. Um, and so it's, it's okay to, to tell people, you know, if you're not comfortable discussing certain things. Um, like I had people after I had Nolan almost instantly, okay, so, so now you got to try for, for a girl. You've, you got a boy, you got to try for a girl. And some of those people, they didn't know what I experienced and what it took, you know, to have Nolan. And I'm just like, at first I, I kind of like smiled through it, like, yeah, we'll see. Um, but as time went on and, you know, experiencing more and reflecting on um, my losses, I started to tell people like, you know, that's an uncomfortable topic. You don't know what I went through. <laughs> like, please don't don't mention that. And how do you know that I want to have more kids? You know, so I, I got more comfortable just being real with people. Um, and then as far as like the unsolicited advice, you know, I would just tell people, you know, OK, thank you. Um, but I know my experience isn't the next person's experience. If you ask me, I'll be more than happy to to share with you like how I'm navigating motherhood but I don't just tell people what to do with their their kids and how to raise their kids I I find that to be um a little rude so I just I don't do that but if you ask me you know I'll tell you otherwise I don't give unsolicited advice and so that's something that I know a lot of um, expecting mothers are, are going to experience that unsolicited advice and those questions you do not want to answer yeah I appreciate that so much I appreciate that for multiple reasons because it is encouraging it's validating um, and it also just like puts the 
the onus back or the responsibility back on mom to like stand in her advocacy of self mm-hmm. <laughs> and the things that she desires and wants and needs and, you know, the things that are unhelpful. So thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your story. And yeah, I'm completely honored to have held this space for you um, and your experiences. And um, I hope that this um, lands on the ears of parents who may have dealt with laws, who um, may be wondering how life looks after loss, pregnancy after loss. And yeah, thank you so much, Nicolette. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. As always, it's important for me to note that this podcast does not replace being connected or receiving therapeutic services from a licensed mental health clinician. If you are experiencing a life-threatening emergency, please call 911 or go to your local emergency room. You can also find additional resources on episode two, one being postpartum.net, where you can get connected with support groups, as well as therapists, psychiatrists, other providers within your community that may be of service to you on your motherhood journey. Again, that resource is postpartum.net, but you can find additional ones on episode two.